First of all, I'd like to say a word of thank you to Jeff Wilson this morning, whom I came to know as part of a pledge class of dynamic young Jackson men for whom I developed great respect, even as I served as their pledge trainer in the Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity at Millsaps. But note that if you catch Jeff and Cindy headed for the exit, we must be headed downhill fast. Another couple I simply must acknowledge today is Tim and Cheryl Coker. When I entered retirement seven years ago, I laid out some guidelines for how that would look. The first thing I wanted to remember was how to say no which I've done successfully for the most part. Secondly, to pursue only the things that I was passionate about, and that led me to do some work with Camp Lake Stevens near Oxford, Mississippi, my spiritual hometown. To work with Ministry Architects of Nashville, which I've been doing since 2006, but continue a, a little bit longer. And then in my relationship with Millsaps College, I've served in a variety of capacities, but now it's my great honor to serve as the football team chaplain. Now, they're not a bunch of choir boys, I can tell you, and they are in need of spiritual guidance, but I'm happy to do that, and they are a great bunch. I also serve as a trustee of the college. Third, I wanted to visit a different church every week which I've done as well, visiting about 40 churches in that, that time since I've been retired and some places I've circled back to on an occasional basis, such as here at Northminster. I spent 35 years listening to myself. It was time to listen to somebody else and hear a good word from other pulpits. But I have found to be true what Bishop Nolan Harmon once said, Asked if he had ever heard a sermon he didn't get something out of, Bishop Harmon said, no, but I've had some pretty close calls. <laughs> that was not the case when I came to visit Northminster and heard Chuck Poole's sermon, be careful what you think you know. Afterwards, I told him it was a fine Methodist sermon, <laughs> to which he replied, I get that a lot. <laughs> Fourth, I determined to play golf on a weekly basis, which I have done religiously. I was playing golf by myself at Canton Country Club as I entered retirement seven years ago, and I came across another gentleman playing alone at the 14th tee. I spoke a greeting to him without really noticing much about who he was, and he replied, David, it's Tim. There he was, my high school chorus teacher and minister of music at my home church as I graduated from Tupelo High School in 1974, and there he was, as gifted an athlete as he was a musician. 
spiritually formed, having explored pastoral ministry himself, an encourager and Mr. Positivity, Tim has been enduring my poor golf game three times a week ever since that day. <laughs> One thing you need to know about Tim, the athlete, though, while he is always positive and encouraging, and he would say this, he's just a bit competitive. <laughs> One day in June, we had started around at Lake Caroline and my putter was failing me, as is often the case. And missing a short putt on the first hole, in frustration, I complained to myself, good God almighty. Tim didn't say anything. At the second hole, it was a similar story. Missed short putt. I once again complained a bit more audibly this time. Good God Almighty. Tim, once again, nothing. Third hole, yep, same. Missed short putt, followed by my rather loud, Good God Almighty. But sensing a potential teaching moment and being the spiritual man that he is, Tim spoke to calm me down. Now, David, you're getting awfully worked up for a man of God. Next time, if you miss the putt, I want you to say, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord, I muttered to myself as I returned my putter to its resting place and pulled my pitching wedge for the par three number four hole. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. <laughs> Tim hit a nice ball to the green. And as I prepared to swing, I, I marveled at the day around me. Perfect sunny day, perfect early summer temperature, I aimed just left of the hole and let fly. There was a little whisper of wind. With crisp contact, the ball flew high and straight, landed softly, bounced twice, and rolled into the hole. <laughs> I turned to Tim and exclaimed, praise the Lord. <laughs> and Tim replied, Good God Almighty. <laughs> totally not a true story. <laughs> but it should be. <laughs> it wasn't long after meeting Tim and Cheryl in the early 70s that I had the chance to make my first car purchase. A 1974 Toyota Celica a white hardtop five-speed beauty that I found at a Tupelo dealership in 1975. Finding it not long after it had been traded, I asked to take it for a test drive. I must confess that I felt wrapped in cool as I pulled away from the dealership. But at about 30 miles per hour, I noticed a, a shimmy that got progressively worse as my speed increased, the steering wheel eventually shaking almost violently. But it disappeared completely at 50. 
Returning to the dealership, I asked about it, and they mumbled something about having, having the front end alignment checked and that maybe the tires might be unevenly warm. But did I buy that 1974 Toyota Celica? Why, of course I did. And I endured the shimmy until the third repair shop took care of the problem and oh, I got to replace two tires. That's the way things go when things get out of line. Some Christians think that Jesus is a line drawer, that Jesus draws lines in the sand and tells us not to cross them. But I rather believe that Jesus is much more the artist, a drawer of big circles that gather people in, a sketcher of lines that show us pathways to follow. I find that to be true in this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus describes the two first, the Pharisee looking down his nose at those around him, then the tax collector, sometimes called the publican, the picture of humility before God. Given Jesus' proclivity to deride the Pharisees, one can see where the parable is headed in a hurry. And Jesus draws a pathway leading straight through the humble tax collector's repentant heart, a line for us to follow. But this is not the only instance in which Jesus tells us that we have a choice, that there are values to live by if we would like to walk with him. The Gospel of Luke is full of value-laden passages pointing us to the ways of Christ. I'm sure you've heard most of them as you have gone through year C in the lectionary for, in which Luke's Gospel is featured question about another exorcist, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of Martha and Mary, the parable of the rich fool who desired nothing more than bigger barns, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the ironies of reversed fortunes that the first shall be last, and here the contempt of even the righteous pales in the light of penitent humility. As much as we hate to admit it, in Luke, we find that the gospel which comforts the afflicted is just as likely to afflict the comfortable. Maybe that's why we like Luke's gospel so much, particularly Luke's parable. But why? I think it's because we are in instinctively drawn to the values of Jesus which Luke reflects. I find that reflected in today's Psalm, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. It's the psalmist saying, we want to live where you live. We want to do the things you do. We want to go where you go. We want our lives 
to be aligned with your life. In preparing for today, I spent some time reading through materials on the Northminster website, things like the Northminster Covenant, the church's history, as well as descriptions of its worship and ministries. What I found, I thought was striking. A church seeking to state its mission and values, something around which its people could unite, something that could describe for the world what it was seeking to be and do. A church aligned with the cause of Christ Simply stated by former pastor Harvey Whaley, we agree to differ, we resolve to love, we unite to serve. John Wesley, and you knew he had to be in this sermon somewhere. John Wesley put it similarly, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. The words draw a picture, like the picture on the front page of a set of blueprints. Eight years ago, we built a house, and we received a set of blueprints, and on the front was a, a picture of the house in which we were to live. But we had helped to draw those blueprints, and the blueprints conveyed what was important to us and how it was that we wanted to live. We determined that we wanted to build with natural materials, that we wanted to engage the outdoors. Pages that followed, though, fleshed it out. The plumbing page, now there's some excitement. The framing, the electrical. To me, Northminster's statements convey what is important to you and how you want to live in faith together in the world. And it's expressed in things like ministry organizations and budget structure and the physical plan. To me, this space reflects important things in Northminster's worship life. The vertical space leading the eyes heavenward. The table as the central piece, the place that we meet God. The middle aisle leading to it the pathway to God, and the road leading us back into the world. The baptismal font, elevated and highly visible through the, its, its tree symbolizing new life. The highly visible presence of the Austin organ, as psalms were the hymnody of the Hebrews, Northminster values music and sound, as a distinctive pathway to heavenly places. As Robert Lowry put it in his beautiful hymn, how can I keep from singing? The prominence of the pulpit and the spoken word. The lectern for its liturgy, which it values. Over it all, hangs the cross, the symbol of our faith, and the ultimate expression of God's sacrificial love. But the congregation's mission and values are also expressed in its staffing, 
and leadership structure. Every member a minister, yes. But how does that get expressed in a pastoral search in which you find yourself? Tim asked me a couple of months ago what I would be preaching on today. I told him I thought I would preach a sermon entitled Preacher Pickin' 101. And not that I know a lot about Baptist preacher picking, mind you, and so Tim laughed. I mean, you know, the Methodist preachers all jump on a moving merry-go-round at the same time and all jump off somewhere else all in the same day. But let me meddle for just a minute. In my work at Ministry Architects over the last 16 years, I've seen a number of churches that so desperately wanted a pastor that they would have been satisfied with a pastor who could just keep their church between the ditches, as they say. Just keep us from running off the road again, they would say. And I've seen pastors questioning their fit in the congregations where they were serving. One associate pastor led his large, large congregation in prayer one Sunday, introducing those moments with the words, let's pray. The pastor beelined to him following the service with this admonition, do not ever, do not ever use a contraction in our worship again. He began to wonder if his understanding of ministry and worship was out of line with the church within which he was serving. Face it, some people want particular things, some unconsciously, when the church is seeking a pastor. Some people want preacher hair. not always a requirement. Some want preacher prayers. In the United Methodist Church, we had a pastor, Johnny Dimas, who was known for his sweet words dripping from his mouth like honey that brought us into the presence of God. His death was a great loss. Some folks want a preacher voice, a preacher that says God in three syllables. <laughs> some want a preacher that sings. Some, wants a preacher, some want a preacher that uses an expository style, some an exegetical style, or some an inductive style like Fred Craddock. Some want a preacher that tells you what to do and some want a preacher that doesn't tell you what to do. Some people want a preacher that tells you what to think. Some want a preacher that helps them think. Some that want, want a preacher that tells jokes or doesn't. Some want a preacher that tells stories or doesn't. Some want a caring pastor. Some want a dynamic preacher. Some want an organizer. Some want a visionary. 
And when it comes down to it, some folks want the repentant, humble tax collector. But there are still some folks who want the Pharisee. Go figure. Some are so scrambled that they have no idea what they want. The question is, what do you want? Better yet, what does God want for and from Northminster? Friends, pray first that on the front end, Northminster is in alignment with the pathways of Christ, the lines that Jesus draws, the values that Jesus teaches through simple yet profound little stories. Then find a pastor who is aligned with Christ, who has a sense of ministry that is aligned with the vision for mission and ministry true to this church, but one who will tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. One who will love you through the ups and downs of life together. One who will walk beside you as you grieve and as you grow. One who years later will cause you to say, you remember old Reverend so-and-so? I think we got that one right. I will be praying for you. And for the one who will answer the call to this magnificent church. And I'll be checking in from time to time, hoping once again that I will hear another good Methodist sermon. <laughs> Take these words, O oh God, inadequate though they may be, to speak the gospel of love, that it may be written upon our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.